Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and we are back from our holiday hiatus. This Sunday's podcast revolves around the 21 and 17 Detroit Pistons, who are still kind of finding themselves in the wake of Reggie Jackson's severe ankle injury. Ben, David, and I nitpick Stan Van Gundy's rotations, discuss possible point guard trades, and wonder aloud what the heck is wrong with Avery Bradley. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. And, of course, you should be following DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. We are back from our holiday hiatus. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. Doing great. Glad to be... Man, 2018. Time flies. Happy New Year to everybody listening. Hope you had great holidays. Yeah, same here. Same here. And we're also joined by a uh, a man who has a long list of uh, of titles. He's a uh, he's a contributor at Inside the Cylinder. He's got uh, his own podcast on the Almighty Baller Network. He uh, writes at 16 Wins a Ring and Detroit Bad Boys. It's uh, David Fernandez. David, how you doing? What's up, everyone? Uh, what's up, Laz and Ben? Good to finally join you guys on the pod. Uh, I know it's been a while, so um, happy to be here for sure. Yeah, we're happy to have you. I know uh, you're busy doing your own thing, your own podcast. So I'm glad you uh, you found the time to to come on our little rinky dink operation. <laughs> it's all rinky dink. So recording podcast is you know it's a. I don't know if you have the same experience, Les, where it's you know just a series of small heart attacks with recording and editing, and then you know you just kind of finally try to push out a polished product. But uh, I think I have that at least once a week. Oh, yeah. It's just like one long homework assignment per week. And I thought I was done with homework a long time ago. <laughs> exactly. The, the secret is to not care about having a polished product, just so you guys know. <laughs> ben can say that because he doesn't edit the podcast. <laughs> I've edited twice. I'll have you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Dang, Laz. You're just putting in the, the legwork. Uh, that's uh, that We have an alternating schedule with, with uh, inside the cylinder. So um, it, it makes it a, a little bit easier for everyone tell you what you guys chip in for the babysitter and i'll be <laughs> that sounds, sounds nah, for me. i'll let you i'll let uh i'll let you put the baby down then <laughs> i don't want that responsibility <laughs> speaking of uh things that went down uh reggie jackson suffered a grade three ankle sprain the day after christmas which is you know old news but still big news he'll be reevaluated, so we don't even know if he'll be back in time for the uh, all-star break but he'll be reevaluated in five to seven weeks this has been the uh, biggest story that's happened with the Pistons while we were gone. Um, story so far has been the next man up. Uh, Ish Smith is starting, and uh, Dwight Bikes out of the G League, out of the Grand Rapids Drive, has been taking on the backup point guard responsibilities. Uh, first question, I guess, goes to David, since he's our, uh, our big guest. David, can the Pistons make the playoffs with internal replacements? I think they can, but I, I think it's going to be one of those types of scenarios that we – 
are a little too familiar with where it's going to be kind of scrapping for one of those lower seeds come March. And, you know, at that point, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a toss up. So uh, while I I think the 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 worst case scenario is obviously that they don't make the, the playoffs, but um, just in general, this season we've been um, or the Detroit Pistons have been anywhere from second in the East to, you know, floating around that four seed. So I think that that's just such a step back and such not a place that you'd be expecting them to go in, especially at this point in the season. Um, so, yeah, I think they can, but but at the same time, I don't think it'll be pretty, and I think it'll be a dogfight. Ben, do you think the Pistons can make the playoffs without uh, Reggie Jackson? I, I think it's possible. I think a lot of it's going to depend on Stan Van Gundy and how creative he can be uh, with the backcourt rotation. You know, right now we've seen Langston Galloway essentially glued to the bench while Bikes has been playing well. And that's mostly worked. I mean, the Pistons are still, I think, four games above 500, which is honestly, it's kind of startling, right? I mean, they've had so many things go wrong and they're still four games above, five, above 500. So I certainly think it's possible. Um, but, you know, Stan Van Gundy, the coach, has been sort of hit and miss for me personally. Uh, and I think this is a real test for him. He's got to be willing to be flexible with uh, both Bikes and Galloway and, and try to get the most out of them and be willing to to change it up if, for whatever reason, one of them's not playing well. You look at Bikes, for example. I mean, he's had a career game, I think it was, last night or the night before. He, he's not going to continue to shoot the ball as well as he is, all things considered. And uh, if he is this good of a shooter, he probably would have made it in the NBA somewhere. So I think you ride him while he's hot. And, you know, if he starts to shoot the ball poorly and struggle, I think you've got to be willing to give Galloway a chance and make some other adjustments because uh, that kind of creativity is going to be required when you lose a guy like Reggie, who's really having a pretty good season. Yeah, the the gap between what Dwight Bikes has has played like so far and what uh, I think a a normal level of play for him would be is so wide that I think the Pistons do need to make a trade. Um, David listed out in a pretty big tweet uh, earlier this week, he listed out some, some possibilities. Obviously the big name on the market right now is Kimba Walker because Charlotte's uh, doing really poorly and they're facing uh, the luxury tax. Uh, George Hill is also a, uh, a, constant topic of conversation among Pistons fans. Um, there's also like Tyreek Evans, who's out on the market with, uh, with Memphis. You'd also pry away probably a guy like a DJ Augustin from the, uh, from the Orlando magic. David, uh, which, which one of those guys do you think the, uh, the Pistons would be willing to, to make a deal for kind of what level a guy? I mean, I think that they, they could go for, for any type of level from, you know, you look at like Kemba Walker kind of at the top of that list. The, the thing is that, that you have to consider is what would they be bringing back with, um, with Tyreek Evans, for instance, I think he's on like a $2.5 million contract. That's only guaranteed this year at that point you're really bringing him in to sort of salvage this season to take on a major responsibility in ball handling, playmaking. Um, and you wouldn't have to ship out too much, I don't think. I don't know if you guys agree with that as well. But I think if you ship out, you know, one asset and then maybe a, a first-round pick or something like that, maybe like a Henry Ellenson in a first-round pick or um, maybe even Reggie Bullock in a first-round pick, that that could be something where the, the Memphis Grizzlies want to bite because they're pretty close to that sort of do we just tank everything right now and just throw this season in the gutter, seeing how they're so far behind in the Western Conference playoff race? 
But at the same time, you know, I, I think that that's where I would want to go towards before making one of those larger moves where you're bringing in a Kemba Walker or even I've heard Dennis Schroeder. I believe that the Atlanta Hawks are, sh- are shopping him pretty actively right now as well. I, I don't know if I would like Schroeder. Schroeder seems like a, he seems very much out of the Reggie Jackson mold. He's only slightly cheaper than Reggie over the uh, the same length of contract, I believe. And so I don't really know if if that's a good target. I like Tyreek, though. Tyreek is is cheap. Like you said, he's only on a one-year deal. And Memphis is tanking. It's a good situation to uh, extract talent from. And the Pistons uh, don't really have any, any way to uh, add long-term salary anyway. And so re-signing Tyreek I don't think would be a priority in the offseason. And so as a straight rental, just uh, for something like a first-round pick, I, I think I'd be loath to give a Reggie, Reggie Bullock, not only because he's playing really well right now, but because he's one of the few guys the Pistons have that can play on the wing. Um, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I think uh, Tyreek would be a really good trade target. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts? Uh, who, would you, uh, who would you target uh, for the Pistons at point guard? So thinking back to David's tweet, I voted in that poll and I voted for Kemba Walker because uh, I think he is an incredible value, around $12 million a year, locked up for, I think, one more year after this one, if memory serves. Um, You end up in an odd situation when Reggie comes back, obviously. Um, But to me, Kemba Walker would be a a fantastic land. Um, I forget exactly, David, what you had floated uh, in that trade. I think it was... If I remember right, Stanley Johnson was in there, a first-round pick was in there, and one other player, but I forget who that was. It was uh, Avery Bradley, Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellenson, and a future first for Kemba. Yeah, I would think really hard about that. Um, I really would. I don't see that the only problem with that is if you if you lose Bradley, who I'm not a huge fan of at the moment, and we can talk about that a little later, um, I don't think Reggie or Kemba can play off the ball. So, I mean, in a perfect world, you'd want to try to bring in a guy if you're shipping out Avery Bradley who can play a little bit of shooting guard. But I'm a big fan of Kemba Walker. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he brings things to the table that we haven't seen in Detroit for a very long time in terms of what he can do individually with the basketball in his hands. Um, So I seriously consider that trade. David, you sound like, yeah, you had some thoughts. What's up? Yeah, so I guess there's there's sort of, two avenues to this right there's you know what do you do where you're shipping out not too much you're not necessarily risking too much of the future for for right now so type of um type of solution that that'd be more of like that Tyreek Evans type of mold or is it do you sell the barn and you really try to get in an all-star caliber player which these guys don't come to Detroit generally speaking in free agency it's usually via trade but in that trade like like I had tweeted out and this is obviously just speculation and me playing around with the trade machine, but you know, that's Stan, that's Avery Bradley. Who's, you know, he's due this upcoming year. Um, Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellenson. Those are two of your first, first round picks from um, the last few seasons and then a future first round pick. So you really are leveraging your future to try to win now. And then also you would have Kemba Walker for about a year and a half to prove to him to stay in Detroit as well. So it's really like how much can you stomach when it comes to the future? And I don't think Stan Van Gundy, is really too concerned with with future draft picks at this point, um, just because he's kind of in a win now situation as as is. That's fair. That's fair. I know that uh, I would personally not value Kemba uh, as much 
as some other people. Uh, Kemba is a really good player. He's a really good, uh, he's a really good offensive talent. But at the same time, like you would want to ideally pair him with an Avery Bradley, uh, not necessarily uh, with a, like a Luke Kennard or a Langston Galloway, which is what you'd be left with if you were to pull off that trade. And so uh, I think Kemba would be a really good get, but I don't think the Pistons just have the pieces to, to make it happen, which is really unfortunate. But luckily, we all think the Pistons can make the playoffs uh, without him and without Reggie Jackson. So uh, we're in good shape. Can I ask a question real quick? Just just kind of yeah. gut check on what you guys think about this whole situation. So, What's up? So, as I mentioned, I, I think that they can make the playoffs. I think it would be more of like a limp-in type of situation. Where would you feel about, you know, what would you feel about this team moving forward in knowing that Avery Bradley's due for a contract, knowing that you have some serious questions with, with other guys like Tobias Harris going forward. Um, if they were to just limp in, let's say with a 41 and 41 record and nab the seventh or eighth seed, would that be something that would you kind of mark that down as, as a success or would you mark that down as, as a good thing? Or, or I, I guess where, where are you at mentally with it? Cause I'm personally at, at the point where I just think that that'd be a pretty, pretty awful finish for the way that they started knowing that it was had a lot to do with injury and, and the results from, you know, for everything that happened after Reggie went down. Well, I, I mean, considering the fact that Reggie Jackson is going to be missing a significant amount of time, if they do make the playoffs, which, again, I believe is theoretically possible, I'm not sure I'm willing to put it like a likelihood on that yet. But if they make the playoffs and Reggie Jackson misses almost three months of basketball – without making a trade that that compromises the future, I think that's a success personally. Uh, I think early in the season, they were just playing out of their mind. I mean, everything was falling from everybody and they were bound to cool off. And, you know, in the beginning of the season, I had this team like right around 45 wins as sort of like a not homerish prediction, but like if just a couple things went well, they could get there. And that's literally right where they are, right? If they play 500 basketball from here on out, which is going to take some work, they'll be right there. Um, So I would definitely consider that a success because, I mean, Reggie Jackson has been a really key piece of what they've been able to accomplish this season. And without him for this much time, I mean, I think you would have to feel good about that. Yeah, I'm I'm with Ben. My my preseason expectations for this team were something along the lines of like a six, seven or eight seed and a first round exit. And so if they managed to pull that off, with a major injury to a vital starter, I think that's that's not necessarily worth celebrating, but it's definitely uh, a stepping stone that uh, that they hit on the level to to something better. I think. All right, so something that you could build off of from there, maybe you do bring back Bradley in that situation. Right. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're gonna let's let's talk about Avery Bradley. So Avery Bradley was injured and uh, came back in between the time that we've done this podcast, which tells you how long we've been gone. But uh, he's played every game this week, and he has 14 of 43 from the floor. He's averaging 1.7 turnovers a game, which is doesn't sound like that much, but he doesn't really handle the ball all that much. Um, he's shooting 31% from the floor, 30% from three, and uh, 0% from the free throw line. I think he's only taken two free throws, but still. Um, he's been He was good defensively against Chris Paul, but uh, he was still a below average offensive player in that Houston game. Uh, to me, it really just looks like he's trying to absorb too much of the offensive load. And this was true even before his injury. Um, the dribble handoffs and everything, that was, the execution that was uh, really clicking early on in the season, teams have found ways to counter. And so uh, he's 
put himself into a position where he's taking a lot of mid-range jumpers off dribble handoffs and shots that aren't necessarily bad, but that the the offense could could do without. Uh, ben, how, how have you felt? You you talked you spoke earlier about your disappointment with uh, with Avery Bradley. Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, that since his return. Yeah, so the injury is interesting, but I, I think personally his play really started to fall off well before the injury. And like personally, I'm ready to move on from Avery Bradley. Um, I I don't think he's worth more than he's making right now, and I think he's probably going to cost quite a bit more than that when he hits the free agent market. To me, it's fairly obvious that he's really pushing his offensive game in a contract year. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't I don't think it's wrong or anything, but. I think he's he's just pressing way too hard offensively, and it's resulted in him taking just a whole lot of bad shots, especially inside the three-point line. He doesn't get to the free-throw line hardly at all. Uh, and as a result of that, in spite of being a really good three-point shooter, he's just super inefficient offensively. Um, with Avery Bradley on the court this year, the Pistons are negative three net rating. Um, with him off, they're plus four. And, you know, you look at a guy who could potentially command $15, $18 million or more per season, a guy who's supposed to be a lockdown defender, a guy who's supposed to be a great shooter, your offense is better without him and your defense is better without him. So that's a really tough sell to me. I'm ready to move on from Bradley. Um, I definitely don't want to see the Pistons pay him big money in the summer because they're already committed to a whole lot of money spread off, spread over a number of interesting contracts. So yeah, I'm personally, I'm just ready to move on. David, I know you're a little bit more familiar with Avery Bradley than the rest of us from your Boston days. Does it feel like we're rehashing the arguments that uh, Celtics fans were making last year? No, I, I mean, the the Boston, and you might have noticed that from when he came back to Boston and, and they sort of celebrated him, gave him a standing ovation. They, they just loved everything about him. And you know, he had a big stage to perform on as well. You know, this was, uh, this is a, team that sells out regularly this is a team that has made the playoffs the last few seasons so he has had an opportunities to kind of shine in more glamorous moments than you see right now in Detroit um but I don't think there was really a concern with paying him after this year I think that was kind of something that they weren't really paying attention to just because he was under a cheap contract now we actually have these types of questions because he's on the Pistons right now in a contract year um and also one thing about his days in Boston, he had Isaiah Thomas to play off of. So the amount of gravity that Isaiah Thomas had when he would cut into the paint, he would find Avery Bradley wide open. Right now, you mentioned the dribble handoffs not working. What were we seeing in the beginning of the season? He was getting into the lane. He was getting floaters. He was getting lobs to Andre Drummond off that dribble handoff little screen action. Um, now he's just failing to get any separation, either from three, either from two. Lots of times those are contested shots. So I don't know if it is. 100% a health thing. Um, but I'm also not, I wouldn't be shocked or um, completely disheartened if Detroit did end up moving on from him, especially if they were able to actually get a playmaker this season, which is something that they desperately need. So while he was gone, we saw some pretty, pretty good play from Luke Kennard and Langston Galloway. Uh, Kennard scored a career-high 20 points against the Spurs and was just fantastic that night. Um, Langston had some really good games in there when he wasn't uh, nailed to the bench. But uh, I think the play of Kennard has really given me uh, pause about offering Avery Bradley long-term money. I know that maybe Kennard won't be ready to be a starter next year, but the year after that, definitely. I don't, I don't, I don't see a reason why 
why he couldn't be. And uh, in the in the next year, I don't see any reason why Canard uh, you know couldn't shoulder a larger offensive load than he than he has right now. So in my mind, if you give Avery Bradley the long term contract he's looking for, uh, not only are you stuck with a guy who has been illustrated, you, your team doesn't play well when he's on the floor. You're perhaps blocking a guy in Canard that uh, your team does play well when he's on the floor and could perhaps, you know, do all the things that Avery Bradley will do some of the things Avery Bradley does on the court, but at a, at a much more discounted rate. Yeah. And Canard's defense has been better than advertised. Not that he's a lockdown defender or anything, but I think there were a lot of questions about his athleticism and especially his ability to keep people in front of him. Offensively, he, he looks the part, right? But defensively, he's been surprisingly competent, I guess I'll say. And that gives me a lot of optimism for him as a as just a rookie. I completely agree. You know, we, we've seen so much this season. People talk about the play of, obviously, a guy that the Pistons have, have passed on in, um, uh, goodness gracious, um, yeah, Donovan Mitchell over in, in Utah. And uh, it, it's something where y- you just kind of think to yourself, if Kennard had this much of an opportunity to shine, he would shine a lot brighter than what, what he's doing right now, which is pretty much just filling his role. Um, you know, there are some games where, you know, he might get 20 minutes of playing time and go 0 for 4 from the floor, but you expect that with a rookie every now and then. Um, and, and I agree. I, I think he's looked great in, in spurts. I think that I see the future with him on this team. And I wouldn't necessarily be disheartened if they let Avery Bradley go because I, I don't think that, you know, I, I think they have enough options right now on the current roster at the shooting guard spot. So uh, I completely agree. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's something right now with Bradley that there's definitely concern and it'll be a pretty big decision for Sam Van Gundy to make come the offseason. Yeah. And shout out to Jordan Bellant because uh, last year's host, the year before that host, he was all over Donovan Mitchell. So shout out to Jordan. If you're <laughs> oh, I didn't know that about Jordan. Yeah, Jordan was always. Yeah, he was big Donovan Mitchell fan. I will say uh, – Kennard has has played really well and he's inserted himself in the rotation. And I don't think Stan Van Gundy was prepared for that eventuality. And so I think that's a big reason of why we're not seeing Langston Galloway. Uh, we weren't even we weren't really seeing Langston while uh, Avery Bradley was out. Um, we've heard from before uh, Stan Van Gundy has preferred to keep a nine man rotation uh, with without Reggie Jackson. That would be Ish, uh, Avery Bradley, Bullock, Tobias Harris, Andre, Dwight. Luke, A.T., and Eric Moreland, that's nine guys. Uh, That means Langston's out. That means Boban's out. Um, Ben, you've been critical of Stan Van Gundy's uh, penchant for tightening his rotations in the past. Um, What do you you think uh, is keeping Langston Galloway nailed to the bench? Well, I think it's got to be Dwight Blakes. I mean – who could have expected this kid? Well, he's not even a kid, right? He's, he's been around a while. <laughs> yeah, he's been around a while. If he weren't playing as well as he's playing, I think Galloway would have got another crack at some backup point guard minutes. But, you know, Van Gundy has this – he has these, this stubborn approach to his rotations. Like, it's almost as if he gets with his assistant coaches ahead of every single game, decides what the rotation is going to be for that game, and then just – it's like paint by numbers from there on out. And I'm exaggerating a little bit because obviously he does exercise a bit of flexibility late in games and stuff. But I think it's got to be bikes. I think 
you know, Kennard has played well as well, as you've mentioned. Um, but to me, the natural, the natural opportunity when Reggie went down was for Galloway to get some backup point guard minutes. Cause when he was signed, that's what we heard a lot about the ability to play both guard positions, to defend both guard positions and, and give versatility to the backcourt. Uh, and you'd think Reggie going down would allow him that opportunity, but it, but it hasn't happened. And I think, you know, it's interesting, too, because if Stan Van Gundy were as good at finding starting small forwards as he is at, like, third and fourth string, third and fourth <laughs> string point guards, he'd be one of the best GMs in basketball because he has this incredible ability to pick out these guys who no one ever heard of and get the best play they've ever had out of them. So That's something that I've been thinking about. It's just kind of incredible that what you've seen out of guys like Moreland and um, Bullock and obviously Dwight Bikes. Uh, just kind of from the scrap heave, you know, of of uh, or, or the scrap pickings from from random NBA teams gone awry. Um, but uh, I, I think with Galloway, one thing that I had noted and, and said and tweeted about that I wouldn't have minded seeing was even seeing Galloway possibly getting some starting minutes. Not because he's the, uh, an excellent point guard, but he did make his mark in this league as a point guard while in New York. Um, it just because it was something with Ish. He just doesn't play. His freelance style of basketball isn't necess- doesn't necessarily work in the system with um, you know already a, a starting lineup that's lacking shooters. Galloway is a guy that's shooting thirty seven percent from three right now. He's kind of hot or cold, but when he's hot, he's red hot. And I thought that that was something that they could have even given a look just to kind of sustain shooting in the starting lineup while Reggie was out, and then you let Ish Smith do what he does with that second unit. I totally, I totally see where you're coming from with that, David. Um, that wasn't something I advocated for, but it was definitely something I understood. Especially for me, another selling point for that was that uh, when they're running the motion offense early on in games, you don't need a traditional point guard, really, if you're not running that much pick and roll. And so having guys kind of whizzing around Andre as the hub of the offense, having more shooters in there could really only be a good thing. And so I was definitely... Uh, I, I could see it. I didn't think Stan would do it, which is why I didn't advocate for it. And I was right. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's way too outside the box for Stan Van Gundy, I think. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying, yeah, I, I don't think that that was something that was, was going to happen. I knew Ish Smith was going to get the first crack, but especially after the Orlando game and then after the Philadelphia game, it was something that just kept on, you know, clicking in the back of my mind. It's like, well, we have a, a point guard or kind of a combo guard I guess you could say with Galloway um, who's played a lot of point guard in his past who's a good three-point shooter who fits really well in that dribble handoff system and I don't know it just seems like if this is a guy that you hard capped yourself for at the very beginning of free agency during July you might want to give him a look when one of your guards goes down well yeah that's a really interesting idea I I think I, I missed you when you were talking about this after the Reggie injury, but I think that definitely would have been considering, especially in hindsight. So the hard capping thing is interesting, right? Because that's something that's been brought up and bandied about a lot on Pistons Twitter in the wake of the Reggie Jackson injury. And honestly, I don't blame Stan Van Gundy for that, partially because I can see why you hard cap yourself for Langston Galloway on day one. It's because you don't think Luke Kennard is going to break into the rotation this year and you need a backup shooting guard. Like I was heavily advocating for a backup shooting guard um, during the offseason, so I perfectly understood the signing. Kennard has been much better than expected, which is a blessing. But at the same time, um, you know Galloway, it's it's 
caused Galloway to not be in the rotation as much. And so the the hard capping thing is is this big flashing red light like, oh, no, you can't. We're, we're hard capped, uh, salary cap. We can't add anybody. We're stuck. But uh, that wasn't in the cards for the Pistons this offseason, really. I don't uh, – I the – the the brouhaha that's been made about being hard cap for Langston Galloway, I think, is a little bit overblown. I'll say that. I, I just think it's something where it didn't have to happen, though. Like you didn't you didn't have to make that move right when free agency hit. You still could have signed that same deal for Langston Galloway down the road once you realize what you were going to do with your starting shooting guard position. So that's where I was just. I just didn't think it was a great look for Sam Van Gundy. I've talked about this before um, on on my podcast, but. Um, you know, they kind of lucked into this whole Avery Bradley situation just in general with the money needing to fit for them, to, for the Boston Celtics to be able to sign Gordon Hayward. Now, this is all, you know, July stuff anyways, but I don't want to go too much on it. But it's just something where you really did want to bring him in. He was your first free agent and he's still getting a lot of DNP CDs. And, and it's just it's kind of a head scratcher because this team needs offense. And that's what Langston Galloway provides. All right, we'll we'll brush aside Langston Galloway, like Stan Van Gundy, we'll talk, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about uh, Tobias Harris. So since Reggie's gone down, Tobias has been asked to do a little bit more offensively. You can definitely see him running uh, more pick and rolls with the centers. Uh, he made a great read to Andre Drummond in the pick and roll against uh, the in the San Antonio game. Got him a really nice dunk. Um, he's averaging almost six free throw attempts a game since Reggie went out. Which is uh, which is almost double what he averaged previously, um, which is just really shocking to me. We've complained many times. Ben and I have complained many times on this podcast that Tobias doesn't draw enough uh, draw enough fouls, and now with no Reggie, he's drawing contact. Um, but he's only shooting twenty eight percent from three in those same games, and so you know, there's not there's not everything going completely right with Tobias, but I think he's really stepped up his game uh, in Reggie in the wake of Reggie Jackson's injury. Uh, ben, have you seen have you seen anything more than what I'm seeing with uh, with Tobias? No, a cosine, and I think you know the three point shooting is probably just the result of a small sample size. I think to me, at this point in the season, he's proved that he legitimately became a better shooter over the summer, which I think at this point is a, is going to stick. Um, what I love is his involvement in the pick and roll as the ball handler. That's something I've wanted to see since we acquired him, and I think. Reggie's absence gives him the ability to do that. Uh, if he can really get in a groove with him and Drummond, I, I think there's some really interesting mismatches that could uh, result from that that you wouldn't necessarily get with the point guard or pick and roll. Uh, so yeah, 100% cosine, and I think Tobias as the ball handler in the pick and roll is going to be something to watch over the next four to six weeks or however long we're without Reggie Jackson. So. One thing I've noticed is that he initially was uh, a little robotic and a little inefficient out of the pick and roll. Um, if he was dribbling with the left hand, it was drive, you know, floater back to the right. If he was coming off a DHO to the right, it was a mid-range shot, or uh, he would pull back and reset and shoot a three, or uh, or you're catching, you know, catch and shoot threes out of the out of the pick and roll with with Ish. But I'm really pleased to see Tobias take a larger share of the offense, uh, partially because. You know, this is something I've been advocating for since the beginning of the season, and partially because it takes some of the pressure off of Avery Bradley to do the same, which we t- when we talked about that earlier. Um, David, do you have any uh, extra thoughts on how Tobias has looked without Reggie? I had literally the same notes down. It's like I've just been loving to see him in the pick and roll a little bit more recently. 
Um, one thing that I have noticed a little bit that reminded me of last season, uh, especially in the Houston game, you saw it quite a bit, where some instances of that Tobias Harris bully ball where he gets a mismatch, he's just kind of pounding on a guard when he gets him in the block and has had some nice results down there. So I think that that's something you can look out for a little bit more. It's not always going to be there, obviously, but when you do find it, Tobias Harris is really, really good at finding the mismatch, utilizing it, and getting a pretty easy look right near the rim. So that's something I've been uh, pretty happy to see too. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't say that, so I left that to you. But that was definitely like one of the things I had also noticed. <laughs> so <laughs> We're doing the work for each other. It's very uh, – the synergy is good in here. Yeah, I'm glad we're all on the same page. All right. Uh, so next up, I guess, is Stanley Johnson. We should We should talk about Stanley. Stanley Johnson has not really been good uh, since he returned from his hip flexor, and now he's back out with the uh, with the same injury. Uh, I think the Pistons have looked better. They've uh, the numbers say undoubtedly that they're better when Stanley Johnson isn't on the floor, um, and I think they've looked better in these last couple weeks than I would have expected without him playing. However, there are certain situations and applications, like against Philadelphia where I think Stanley Johnson would have been uh, good to have on the floor for the Pistons. The Pistons really had no one who could defend Ben Simmons in that game, and uh, it snowballed on them early. And I think something like that would be less likely to happen if Stanley Johnson were playing. Uh, Ben, I know you haven't been a really big fan of Stanley, and I know you've got some – I see on the notes you've got some really, really unflattering numbers for him. So let's hear him. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and this is tough because, like – I am a fan of Stanley in the sense that I am pulling for him. There are things about the way he plays that I absolutely love. Like he plays like a piston to me. He's team first. He plays hard defense and those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, the on off numbers with Stanley are just brutal. Um, the pistons are negative five and that's per 100 possessions with Stanley Johnson on the floor, negative five per 100 possessions with him off the floor plus four per 100 possessions. That's a nine point swing. And look, evaluating individual players by using plus minus has, has its pitfalls. Right. But I mean, this is the box score stats are all bad for Stanley. The on off stats are all bad for Stanley. I think the statistical convergence is just uh, resulting in me having the opinion that he's just not good right now. And he's really hurting the team. So to me, I say you you leave him on injured reserve until he's 100% healthy, and then you use him situationally, like maybe against a Ben Simmons or whatever, because he's just not helping right now. And that that's bad for Stanley. It's bad for the fans. It's bad for the whole team. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to disagree with that position. And, you know, you're initially, you're initially you were right, you know, I'm pulling for him too, and he plays the way he plays defense is so reminiscent of what uh, people think of when they think Detroit Pistons. They think of that defensive intensity and effort, but at the same time, like it is, it is a league now that demands you be effective offensively. He simply isn't that right now. Um, man, this is so depressing. But you know, Stanley's injury has also given us something that's a little bit less depressing, which is. The uh, the new and improved, I guess it's the, the same guy, Reggie Bullock. Um, this has been the M.O. for Reggie, kind of his entire career. Uh, play well in a role. Uh, I think he's gotten hurt. But this season, so far, he, uh, he served his suspension and he hasn't gotten hurt. He's been really effective as a role player. Um, DBB rival uh, Pistons Powered has uh, Shamik's Mohile 
They're pushing Reggie Bullock for most improved player. I don't know if I go that far, but uh, David, why do you think the uh, why do you think Reggie Bullock has been like such a good such a good fit on the uh, on the Pistons? Before before I get into that, just I just want to read off his just his basic numbers from his last fifteen games. So this is a solid sample size. He's shooting sixty percent from the floor and fifty one percent from three. Uh, Eleven points per game, um, chipping in a couple of rebounds and one steal per game. That's pretty insane. Like 60% from the floor and 51% from three. The thing is, he just does what he's supposed to do. He's a quick shot. He's a he's pretty money from three-point land, obviously. Um, and he's decisive. And he's one of the guys that Detroit has that has a natural instinct to move without the ball and kind of go towards the cup. You see all the time Andre Drummond find him on sort of those like back cuts towards the hoop. Um, you see him cut through the lane and get a little drop off and nice little finish with the layup with the right or left. Um, I've just been really impressed with what he's been able to do without the ball in his hands. I think he's just thinking about Reggie Bullock. I sometimes just imagine him on the Warriors or on the Rockets or something like that and how insanely incredible he would be in that type of role. But he's been more than expected for sure. I did not was not a fan when he was moved to the starting lineup. I didn't think he had earned it. I really had preferred to see Tolliver Kennard in that role, but Bullock's completely proven me wrong, and he's just been extremely efficient without the ball in his hands. That's pretty much all I can say about Bullock, and great feisty defense too. Yeah, they uh, they stuck they stuck Bullock on Ben Simmons, which I think was a little ambitious, but that just shows you how much the coaching staff uh, trust Reggie with uh, after his performance in that those uh, those last fifteen games. Those are some insane numbers, David. Sixty percent from I, I the floor and fifty-one percent from three in fifteen games. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, fifty percent from three is uh, pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Only if you like points. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it feels like Stan Van Gundy doesn't like points. <laughs> I so, I so agree with that. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I look at some of those lineups and I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure I could come out of retirement from having never played in the NBA and, and make a shot sometimes. It's exaggerating wildly, but man. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I One more note on Reggie Bullock. Like I said, the, this has been the knock on him is that he's come in and played effective and then gotten hurt. I really hope that guy can stay healthy. Uh, his The second yeah. year of his contract is not guaranteed. And so uh, it's a win-win for the Pistons. If he gets hurt really badly, his contract's not guaranteed. If he's if he's even if he's less effective but still effective, um, you have a cheap wing three and D guy for the next season, which is really good. And so, but man, I, I really hope that guy stays healthy. He's the only three left on the roster. Really. And I would I would go so far as to say that if if he stays healthy and continues to perform close to this level. It makes Avery Bradley walking a whole lot easier to deal with because Bullock is the the prototypical like low usage, super high efficiency guy that to me makes a ton of sense next to Reggie Jackson and makes a ton of sense next to Tobias Harris because we've talked about Laz, you and I to death. Tobias needs the ball more. And if you remove Avery from the, the picture and you put a guy like Reggie Bullock in there, I think you give Tobias probably two or three more opportunities per half, which I think can only be beneficial to his game and for the offense as a whole. Yeah, David, you sounded like you want you want oh, to kind yeah, of I say, well, first of all, you're completely correct, Ben. Tobias is a guy that needs rhythm and he needs shots to kind of get going. And, and once he does, it's he's pretty unstoppable once he does kind of start to find his range and start to things start falling from from deep and then the drives as well so I think that that's 
would be awesome. But what, what I was going to say about Bullock was if he went down, like, and obviously I'm not, you know, projecting that or, or thinking that that's going to happen, but this season might be completely a lost cause at that point. Without that type of efficient scoring on this roster, I don't know what you can possibly do to keep your head above water, which is really crazy to say because coming into the season, Bullock was kind of one of those guys where he was more of an X factor. Like, yeah, if he gives you something great, but if he doesn't, we're not going to be relying on him too much. But at this point in the season, that would be a disaster. So I'm really happy to see him play so well. And and, and frankly, I, I did not see it coming at all coming into this season. Yeah, he just needs to play, right? Even if he's less effective than he is right now, they still need somebody with his skill set on the floor at all times. Yeah, I'd settle for 40% <laughs> from yeah. three. I mean, 50% from the floor and yeah, exactly. 40% from three. I'll take that. 50, 40, 90 for Reggie Bullock? Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so we've got more uh, more injury talk. There's no uh, official update on John Luer, uh, which makes the ankle injury he suffered in early November something like an 8- to 10-week injury now. Um, to me personally, this sounds closer to what uh, we're hearing out of Miami with the Dion Waiters situation, where uh, he thought that rehab was uh, – a big answer for his ankle and uh, the team was kind of pushing him towards surgery and he was saying, no, he still wants to play on it. And so now he's uh, two weeks, he's two weeks off, one week on two weeks off, one week on. And I know uh, a little, the heat fans that I see are a little frustrated that he won't just, you know, take the surgery, get his season over with, but, you know, rebuild the strength in the ankle. Um, Lure had a procedure uh, charitably described as an ankle lube job. I think it was to to lubricate the the joints in the ankle to get that going. Uh, we still haven't seen you know hide nor hair of him. Uh, we talk about David. I, I don't know if, how much you listen to the podcast, but we, me and Ben, talk a lot about John Luer for reasons that neither one of us like fully understands. <laughs> but uh, he's he a idealized version of John Luer, somebody that would be really important for the Pistons, but it doesn't really look like we're going to get that guy. So David, what kind of, what kind of trade package do you think the Pistons should be looking for to ship John Lohr out of town? That's a scary situation just because what you saw from John Lohr last season was a really solid start to the season. He was averaging something like 15, 16 points per game. And then after the all-star break, he plummeted. I think he shot 20% from three. He was scared to shoot threes. I don't know if you guys remember that where he literally didn't want the ball from behind the, beyond the arc arc excuse me um and he's supposed to be a stretch four so i don't think that you can really get anything for john lore um maybe i'm not even it's hard for me to even just to to fantasize of another gm shipping out anything that would be beneficial for the pistons other than you know detroit shipping out an asset along with john lore just to get him off the books i think after next year I think that's really all that I could imagine. So I guess I'll, I guess I'll rephrase then. How many first round picks should we attach to John Lord to get him out <laughs> One. <of town? laughs> yeah, I mean, if a zero, zero. Yeah, I think you just keep him. Honestly, I think that at this point, you what's he making? Seven million dollars a year? No, it's ten. Oh, you're right. Yeah, sorry, I think 10. it's ten. Sorry, I, think um, I think you just bite the bullet on that one. Deal with a, a semi bad contract and keep hold on to your assets. Um, but uh, I, I just think the Pistons are unfortunately stuck with him at this point. Ben, are you ready to deal John Lure? 
No, well, yes and no. Yes, I'm totally you, ready to deal. Are you ready Moore. to attach a first round no, pick? No, but no. Yeah, no, because his his value could not possibly be lower. I think you you let him get healthy. You hope to God he has a good summer, and maybe you can trade him early next season, um, or maybe somehow he becomes that idealized version of him that we saw for glimpses in, in Phoenix. But yeah, it's it's kind of a sunk cost in my opinion right now. That makes a lot of sunk cost on the roster. If you consider Lura a sunk, a sunk cost, if you consider uh, Boban a sunk cost, and if you consider Langston Galloway a is uh, rapidly approaching sunk cost territory, that's almost $30 million of uh, sunk cost. On- I know. And like all of those guys have utility in the right situation, which is what's so bizarre about it. I mean, these are not guys like Charlie Villanueva who – you know, had a great 20 games and then just fell off the face of the earth. I guess Lure to some extent sort of had that. And like Van Gundy has sort of rushed into all of these deals and then refuses to play guys even when they produce. I mean, Bobot in the right situation can produce, Galloway in the right situation can produce, and yet they just sort of get glued to the bench. It's almost like a self-made sunk cost. It's yeah. completely a self-made sunk cost. I, I think Bobon is one of the biggest indictments against the Stan Van Gundy tenure so far, just because it's $7 million a year. You sign him to a three-year guaranteed deal. And, you you know, I think you find out pretty early on that he's almost unplayable unless you, your team is extremely struggling on the offensive side of the ball. And, and other than that, you know, even last night, he might have had like a good game. I think People were saying that. I didn't think he had a great game last night. I remember him getting just torched in transition by Tariq Black going down down for like a dunk. Um, he had like a couple turnovers that were pretty sloppy, offensive fouls. Um, it, I just don't see him as, as, as a great player. Um, in, in this NBA, I don't think he's a bad basketball player in general, but I just don't see him meshing with this Pistons team. And I don't know. That's a lot of money just to kind of waste on a guy, especially when you're going to be at this point where you're – very much flirting with the luxury tax, especially if you do bring back Avery Bradley, then you are definitely in the luxury tax. And Boban's contract is not helping you out by any means, nor do I think it's a contract or a player that a lot of teams are, you know, itching to to trade for themselves. So, yeah, I mean, that's my I always rant about <laughs> Boban's contract just because it's it, it's I don't think it's great and he doesn't play. So I don't really understand the whole mentality behind it. Yeah, I think. Boban is a luxury the Pistons can no longer afford. And that's unfortunate because he's a he deserves as a as a person and as a player, he deserves better than being kind of the uh the victory cigar he is right now. Um speaking of well, I guess lastly we'll mention that Andre Drummond is also dealing with some sore ribs. Um he was he he was dealing with the sore ribs in Miami. He didn't play, and then uh he got took a shot to the ribs from JJ Redick. That was super appreciated, JJ. Thank you so much. Um, and so he sat out the game against Houston. Uh, he'll be dealing with the pain for, I think, a couple weeks, and we'll see if that limits his effectiveness. Um, but uh, he should be, I think he'll be playing the, on Monday against, uh, against the Pelicans. Speaking of the Pelicans, so uh, Pistons are 21 17, four games above 500. They played three straight Rome games this week. At New Orleans, at Brooklyn, and at Chicago. Uh, at Brooklyn and at Chicago at the beginning of the year, those are two games just kind of like, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll win those games. But uh, Brooklyn has been really feisty lately, and Chicago is just coming off a stretch where they won like 8 of 11. 
or something insane like that. So, so Ben, uh, how many games do you think the Pistons will win next week? Yeah. So quickly on Boban. Oh, okay. We're going <laughs> to do this. We're going to do this. Okay. I have to 12 minutes, 10 points on eight shots, five boards and assist two blocks. And one thing you're not seeing in there is when he caused a shot clock violation by altering two shots that didn't hit the rim. So you could give him a third getting beat once in transition does not negate that sort of efficiency. Certainly weaknesses to the game, but I, I have to stick up for my boy because 10 points in 12 minutes and five boards is, is good. You have to suck hard on defense to not be a net positive. He's like the antithesis of Stanley Johnson, right? Like good on one side of the floor, turbo on the other. Now to your point, to your question, the Pistons, if Andre Drummond is healthy, should expect to win two of these games. Um, Chicago has been super streaky. I think Miritich is back. Is that right? Like he's healthy and he's back in the rotation. He played against Dallas, but he like puked before the game. So he might not be healthy, but he's yeah. playing. Yeah, he's he's a problem for the Pistons. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do you start? Do you stick with Tobias? Do you try to start Tolliver in there somehow? He's just—he's just a yuck matchup for the Pistons. But still, I think you have to expect to beat Chicago and Brooklyn if Andre Drummond is healthy. Uh, and if you don't win those two games, like you've got to be self-searching a little bit because you've got to win those. And I will say, I am totally prepared for Spencer Dinwiddie to have like a 2010-10 triple double against the Pistons. Like I am just totally expecting that. Um, because he's been really, really good this year. And it's so sad the Pistons gave up on him like one and a half years too soon. But I think you got to win two out of three. New Orleans is, I mean, they're a good team. If they don't have Drummond, I don't know how they're going to deal with the interior dominance uh, of New Orleans. Um, but yeah, you got you to gotta win two out of three these three games if you view yourself as a playoff team, I think. But let the record reflect that Ben was uh, ostensibly more worried about Miritich than Anthony Davis, which is way more terrifying. <laughs> hey, Anthony Davis like goes without saying. Like he's just he's just his own thing. He's like on a whole other level. Like you just gotta hope he doesn't score forty on you, I think is the best you're doing if you're Andre Drummond. Or Anthony Tyler, whoever whoever gets him. Or 50, like he did that one time. Or 50. They also have a guy named Boogie Cousins who's like averaging 27 points per game right now as well. Yeah, so, they're both averaging over 25, aren't they? I mean, it's just they're dominant, just dominant. Yeah, I, I'm I'm under the mindset. Just So just some numbers from their last five games without Reggie Jackson. The Pistons are dead last in rebound percentage. Um, they're 30th, uh, 45%. Uh, they're 28th in offensive rating. They're 27th in true shooting. And while they're shooting really well from three point land, they're only shooting, they're 26 in three point attempts per game. So I don't really, I don't have a lot of confidence, even though two of the wins were good wins against good teams, that this Detroit team is going to be able to sustain those types of nights against even bad teams like the Brooklyn Nets and the Chicago Bulls. So I, I have them going one and three. I don't see them or sorry, one and two, excuse me. I, I don't see them beating the New Orleans Pelicans, especially if Andre is even still a little injured. I remember you just mentioned Shamika a while ago. He had noted that that's like an injury that can really take about two or three weeks of, of before it's 100% healthy. And either way, if he's guarding Anthony Davis, somebody has to match up with DeMarcus Cousins. If he's guarding DeMarcus Cousins, someone has to match up with Anthony Davis. So I don't really see that one being a win for Detroit. And then for some reason, I just think they're going to let one of those two slip. Um, 
and just because I don't think that they played well. And, and the numbers have, have shown that they haven't played well. So, um, and a lot of that has to do with just the, the butt kicking that was given them to them by the Philadelphia 76ers. But just generally speaking, there's no confidence that I have in this team moving forward until I see something sustained, until I see a, a game where they're really kind of putting their foot down on, you know, a bad team and beating them like they should. Um, so that's where I'm at with this this particular week. I think I think I'm closer to David than Ben right now. Uh, New Orleans is definitely a tough matchup. The if you think of uh, Boogie and Andre as sort of canceling each other out, um, that still leaves the Pelicans with Anthony Davis and the Pistons with probably Anthony Tolliver on him. And Tolliver did a good job against Lamarcus Aldridge, but Anthony Davis is not Lamarcus Aldridge, and so that's really tough. Uh, another the Pelicans. We, main weakness is that they have a uh, a lack of talented wing players. The Pistons are a, a team that can't really take advantage of that because they also have a lack of talented wing players. And so I think that's just like not a very good matchup uh, for them. And uh, as Ben pointed out rightly, I also live in fear of the Spencer Dinwiddie revenge game. And so I I can easily see the Pistons blowing that one and then uh, riding the ship against the Bulls. But uh, even then, I think that would make them what three and six no they make them three and five since the reggie jackson injury and that would speak a little bit to david's point about needing to see more consistently on on both sides of the ball offensively and on, on the glass and so uh, yeah i'm a little worried this week uh, this is not the uh the i'm not i'm not hitting the panic button but i'm definitely like figuring out where it is on the dashboard so i can like flip open the glass case and like mash it if need be I hit it. Yeah, I, I already hit that. it. I'm there with you. <laughs> I hit the panic button. <laughs> I pressed that thing pretty strongly after the, the Philadelphia 76ers game. Um, yeah, I, and honestly, there are some guys on this roster who are underperforming who are healthy. You know, we haven't talked about Anthony Tolliver at all. Um, he's a guy that really does have to kind of get it going because when he does, it, especially, you know, when he's hitting from three, it opens up things so much more for Tobias Harris, for Avery Bradley, for Reggie Bullock cutting to the rim. Um, you know, th- these guys also have to start performing the ones that they do have on the roster right now. So I think that that is uh, another reason for concern. Um, not saying that he won't turn it around, but I, I just don't have a lot of confidence moving forward. Now, if Detroit beats you know, they lose to the Pelicans and they beat two lesser teams and they do it where you're not having a heart attack on, during each game, then I might start changing my tune and maybe, you know, releasing the panic button and not looking up trade scenarios. But I just don't really feel that that's going to happen right now. David's stealing all my good content for next week. Next week, we were going to talk about Anthony Tolliver. I was going to give him another week. Just because, you know, he's he's a vet. He's he's scrappy. He's had to defend the likes of Kristaps and Lamarcus in the last week. Um, he's had he had to scramble out and hedge really hard on Chris Paul pick and rolls. Like I understand if he's if I if he's if he's giving it at all, his all on one side of the ball, I would rather have it be on D than on O. But uh yeah, I'm definitely keeping an eye on the uh, shooting percentages of Anthony Tolliver. Well, that kind of happened in his first go around with the Pistons too, didn't it? Like started strong, struggled in the middle, finished strong. And I have to look at the numbers to know for sure. But that's kind of what I remember him having just like this midseason slump where he was always good defensively. He was always a great teammate. He always played hard. But 
struggled shooting the ball for like 20 games or something. You know? I love Tolliver too. Like I'm not saying this about negative, anything truly negative about Tolliver. I just think that he's just a guy that, you know, does have, he is 36 though too, right? Like he's not, he's not okay. that old. He can't go defend. No, no, no. He can't go defend everybody for 30 minutes either. Right. Like he's just, that that's not in his wheelhouse anymore at his age. That's true. Also Tolliver is 32. He's younger than LeBron. <laughs> don't be, don't put those two he in the looks like sentence, please. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, he does look 36. I'll Damian Wilkins one. is available, by the way. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> is Cartier Martin still in the league? I mean, we were talking about those midnight signings of Langston Galloway, and all I could think of was Cartier Martin and Aaron Gray, like locked up at 12.01 the morning of free agency. Hey, Aaron Gray is still on the bench for Stan Van Gundy. Stan loves that guy. Are we still paying him as a player and a coach, too? Because that would be fitting. God, I hope not. Josh Smith, though, I'm pretty sure we still so are. So there's that. Two, three more years of Josh Smith? <laughs> oh, goodness. On a positive note, and I know I've been pretty negative here to kind of wrap things up, the Pistons are a top 10 team right now in these last five games on the defensive side of the ball. They're averaging 105.3 points per 100 possessions. And you've seen that even with the the buck kicking they got from the Sixers. Um, they've been really, really scrappy on that end of the ball. Eric Moore has been playing playing pretty well, so I do have. There is an, an avenue for optimism, but it, it it just has to be realized, in my opinion. Um, but they played really well defensively. It's just this offense has been needs to get a, a kickstart. And if you have Dwight Bikes, you have Tobias Harris, you have Reggie Bullock all contributing like they did against the Rockets, then they'll probably be okay. But um, yeah, I just you know have that general Detroit Pistons anxiety right around this time of the year, anyways. And. And it should be said that that Rockets win was a, a quality win. Like, that was a really solid win for them, all things considered. That's fair. Uh, so, David, where uh, where can people get, get more of you? I know uh, I know you're a really busy dude. We're really happy to have you on this podcast. But uh, if the people wanted more David Fernandez, where do they turn to? Uh, well, if you want more, uh, I am um, on Twitter at the underscore Fernandula. Um, which was a nickname given to me by a friend. Um, via it's a fantastic nickname. <laughs> via the Durantula. Um, I'm also obviously at Detroit Bad Boys. I'm actually going to be writing the uh, New Orleans Pelicans preview here after this. Um, and uh, 16s wins a ring. I need to produce a little bit more content for them. But also every week on, on Inside the Cylinder podcast, and we're on Twitter at Inside the C Y L N D R. So those are all the avenues you can find me. All right, and people, you should uh, you should definitely be uh, be looking at David and following David. He's a really entertaining guy and a really informative guy, as you heard on this podcast. Uh, ben, who is also in, in entertaining and informative, uh, where can the people find you? Uh, yeah, on Twitter at Boban Freak. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can find me on, on Twitter at Br Gulker. Uh, I love to connect with you. Uh, you should change your uh, your Twitter name to Boban Freak. Not not the handle. Oh, I totally. I told. Oh, I should. I will do that tonight. I will do that for you. And I totally changed my profile picture to a snapshot I took of Boban on the big screen posting up when I was at the Little Caesars Arena. Because I mean, why not? Why not do yeah. that? Is, is the real it's it's definitely on brand. <laughs> uh, and uh, in case you were curious, curious, you can find me on Twitter at Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, I also will be writing here and there for Detroit Bad Boys, and uh, I do a lot of work behind the scenes to make uh, 
pieces like David's preview uh, look better than they actually are. No offense. <laughs> I need the help. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, everyone, it's it's really good to be back. Um, looking back to get into the swing of things. Uh, this is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>